Welcome, Amity Warrior fans and all 3A football fans out there. This is Jeff Clark along with Robbie Scharf and Logan Brandon uh, talking about 3A football today. We're going to talk uh, in kind of a uh, top-down uh, from general to more specific uh, overview of the teams around the state. We're going to start start by looking at maybe the top 10 or so teams in the state. Robbie Scharf, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell people uh, why in the world I would have invited you to join in on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, one, I'm good fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, my name is Robbie Scharf, uh, Amity High School graduate, 2019, played football for the Warriors. Uh, I help run a media group named Mid-Major Media, uh, cover 4A, 3A, and 2A athletics. Uh, so now with fall sports starting, football is kind of our main event. Busy so. time. Busy, busy time. Last weekend was very, very busy. Yeah. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, been compiling information, talking to coaches, talking to players, uh, talking to ADs, trying to figure out what the landscape looks like before the first kickoff. Um, and so Sunday, we put out an initial top 10. And if you want, I can start at 10 or I can start at 1. Your we'll, choice. We'll get there in a second. Let me introduce Logan here. And uh, Logan Brandon, uh, another Amity High graduate. Uh, I don't know what year that was. Is it 20, 2011? 11. Just before I got here. Uh, <laughs> class of 13 was the first year I was here. So uh, why are you involved in this? What's your background? Oh, it's sports writing season. Finally, after over a year, yeah. uh, I'm busy again working for the News Register as its sports editor, um, talking to all the local teams. So it's exciting. So Logan brings a very um, – regional specific approach to this Robbie knows the region well but stays a little bit more up on the state uh, as a whole and uh, Robbie of course has helped me with a number of broadcasts uh, both football and basketball over the last couple of years and enjoyed that uh, immensely uh, as we've kind of uh, learned how to not step on each other's toes too much when we do uh, <laughs> broadcasting uh, the trick is when the play-by-play -play person's talking the other person isn't talking yes. until they're done right yes. okay all right, so let's talk about the top 10 or so teams in the state, Robbie. We'll let you kind of uh, take over from there. Uh, and uh, outside of the uh, Pac West teams that will be listed in there, we can go into a little bit of detail on the other ones. Sure. So do you want to start at 10 and go to 1? Sure, that works. So, yeah. so starting with, with 10, there's a tie, which is kind of a cop-out answer, but I you know, had to go that way. Uh, we have Dayton and Lapine there. We'll get into Dayton more later. But Lapine is – Lapine's been waiting to burst onto the scene for a couple of years now. they got a really good staff, really good head coach. Schematically, they always do what they're supposed to. They just haven't quite been able to put it together in that really loaded league with San Diego Christian and Junction City and Sayus Law. They just haven't quite been able to put it together yet. It's a very tough league. But they have a lot of returning talent this year. This might be the year that they end up playing a home playoff game. So that's something to look out for. Okay. okay. So they're tied with Dayton at 10. We'll get into that later. South Umpqua's at 9. South Umpqua brings back their entire skill position group last year that probably for most of the season, most people would have put in the top five in the state. So South Umpqua for years has kind of been toiling in the you know background. Yeah. They're finally starting to get into the foreground. Now they need a week one since Sayus was having COVID problems. I'll get into that in a second. <laughs> Vale's at eight. The East is a mess. Yeah. Burns is a mess. They haven't played a varsity game since before COVID. Uh, they played the entire spring as a JV schedule. Nissa has a brand new coach. Vale is, vale is the only stable program over East. They have some talent. They have a pretty good coach uh, with Aldred, so they get at eight. Number seven, the top seven are teams that I think can actually make the semifinals. Outside of the top seven, I'm not sure anyone can make the semifinals, if I'm being honest. 
Um, Warrington is at seven. Warrington brings back their entire skill position uh, group back also. Their quarterback, whose first name is, I think, Horty Bowden Bowden is his full name. Horty Bowden Bowden, I think that's – you saw him yep. play at Wysoki. Yep. He's really, really good. Really, really good. He, he can throw on the run more accurately than just about anybody 4A through 2A. Hmm. He moves very, very well. Receivers are very quick, very good. Um, they would have put the bricks to Blanchett had there not been a little bit of – is that more of a focus then on a, a, a short and tight passing game, or do they go deep as well? No, they yeah. go all over the place. Yeah, they air it out from what yes. I remember. If they can go vertical, they're going to go vertical. Okay. You have to put a lid on top, lid on top of it. So them. it's not just the bubble screen game and get the no. guy out in the open. No, absolutely It's more not. like Sandy M. Christian was a couple of years ago when he yes. played him in the semis and they threw the ball all over the place. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, so they can't go short. They can run the ball pretty efficiently. They only have like two run plays in their entire system, but they can <laughs> they can throw it all over the place. He is a really really good player. He, senior, he, I believe he's going to be a senior. Yes, they are. They bring back virtually their entire skill position group. They have to replace most of their offensive line, most of their defensive line, which was a pretty good group last year. For the last two years, they've had a pretty good group there. But if you can just shore up the offensive line, that's a top five team. Yep. We only have them at seven because of who's who's directly ahead of them. At six is Junction City. Junction City brings back virtually their entire roster. If you go roster by roster, 4A through 2A, there is not a single roster in the state that has more seniors on it okay. than Junction City. They bring back everybody and depth. And they have a coach that's done it before. Coach Maxwell has been at Monroe. I believe he's been at Harrisburg. He's been a winner everywhere he's going. Uh, this is his second year at Junction City. They're running the single wing most of the time which is a throwback, mm-hmm. um, but they run it really well. When they played San Diego Christian last year, it was a don't, don't final score watch. It was like 35-6, to six, but you watch it. They were competing every single play. It was a pretty good game. So they're at six, some initial success early. They can end up in the top four pretty quickly. That's another 4A school playing 3A. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and then Rainier at five. Rainier at five, really you only need to t- say two things with Rainier. Mike King – is still at Rainier. Mm-hmm. That's box number one. Check. Box number two, there's a trip on the roster. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Kenny Tripp's going to be a senior. He's the final heir to the Tripp family dynasty. All the <laughs> brothers are going to be graduated as soon as he's done. <laughs> um, but they got some depth in the backfield there. They're going to be able to run the diesel. They got four legitimate guys that can run that run that offense. They're not – they don't have to get out of it. Last, last In the spring, they kind of had to get out of it sometimes because they didn't quite have the depth and they didn't quite have the line ready enough. They had to spend a lot of time in five wide. They had to spend a lot of time in, in the double wing rather than the diesel. This this fall, they should be able to spend more time in the diesel. They should be able to take it right up the middle a lot more. And that's what Rainier is. And if you don't know what Robbie's talking about when he says the diesel, um, if you are an Amity fan, you will remember <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago when Amity was absolutely loaded and so was Rainier. And uh, I don't remember what the final score in that game was. 60 to 54. Crazy game, right, <laughs> at Rainier. And uh, uh, that one really was was the exemplification of how to run the diesel. They had a huge line, um, had the, the monster at tackle that they could run behind, six, seven, three hundred pounds or whatever Eastern he was. Grape. And uh, Robbie was out there on the uh, offensive side of that game. Uh, but they, yeah, they just power up. And there's a little delay. They snap the ball to the quarterback usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a little delay as he kind of waits for the line to get a surge. Mm-hmm. And it's how many blockers in front of him? Ten. Ten. <laughs> if you're not carrying the ball, you're blocking at the point and of attack. And they're just coming right at you. There's, oh, yeah. no, 
There's nothing tricky about it at all. There's no deception to it. There's no play fakes. There's nobody going out for a pass. It is we are coming right at you, and we're going to take five yards or 50 yards, whatever. Yep. Whatever it is. But we're going to get some yards almost every time. And the only thing that held them up in that game were a couple of bad snaps um, where – uh, and, and a couple of times where we got some penetration from the backside on that, mm-hmm. which is really what you have to do. You can't you can't come through the blockers to them. There's too many of them. But if really you come around the backside during that delay, then you can stop that. But that's it. It's tough if you've got the personnel. It's tough to stop. It was the diesel that killed us in that game. It wasn't the five wide, and it wasn't the double wing. The double wing was gone almost immediately because it wasn't as it wasn't compact. Pick, yeah. it, no, it was a balanced set. Well, you get into a balanced set against Sammy's defense, we can pick it apart. Five wide, we had the athletes to deal with it. It was the diesel that gave us the problems in yeah. that game. And that's the thing with Rainier. They run three completely different offenses, so any given game – they can identify a weakness and then just run that one offense the entire time. They should be able to do that this year pretty effectively. Okay, so that's five. <clears throat> that's five. Number four is Amity. We'll get into that in a little bit. I do have one amendment to this top ten I would make. I'll get into that in a minute. Sandham Christian's at three. I would put them at five if I were to do the, redo these rankings right now because there's some information that I wasn't aware of when I made this rankings that I am now. Eli Kennel's not playing. Okay. Eli Kennel has been their quarterback for three seasons. This would be his fourth. He would be a fourth-year starter if he played this year. He's going to play Division One baseball at Oregon State. He's already committed. He was by far and away the best quarterback this spring. He was probably outside of Sam Vidlak, the best quarterback, 4A through 2A in 2019. He is a fantastic quarterback. He runs that offense at Santa Christian absolutely perfectly every time he steps on the field. It's amazing. He does not throw interceptions. Okay, so if he's not throwing it. If he's, he's not, not throwing it. it who so, so that I do not know. But <laughs> does it matter if this is the first time they're not going to have Eli, Eli Kennel at quarterback since 2018? Or excuse me, not even since 2018, 2017. Yeah. It's been a while. And so you, you're replacing him. You're replacing Joe McQuaddish. That was already in there. Mm-hmm. You're replacing Marcus Fulbright, the best running back in small school football. You're replacing... Uh, some of the best receivers in, in, in small school football, you're replacing probably 75% of an offensive group that the last two seasons. Was so how did they still end up football. at five if you were redoing it? Matt Bain. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Bain is one of the best coaches in small school football. It's not even close. So even with the talent that they're going to have, that we know they're going to have because they're standing up Christian, and what they had in the depth last year, he can still put together a top five team. Right. I really don't think that's even contention. I would still put them ahead of Junction City. I would still put them ahead of Warrington simply because they've done it before they've been there. They have the experience. Those seniors this year, because of the playoff runs they've had the last couple of years, have basically played an entire extra season of football. Yeah, right. Um, number two is Sayus Law. This is kind of a bet. Not going to lie in our top tens. Sayus Law was a powerhouse for decades, and then they kind of went into a lull. Now they're coming back out of it with Sam Johnson, who's in his mid-20s. He's one of the He's an up-and-coming coach. He's really, really good. They're back to running the veer. Down at Sayus Law, split-back veer, two tight ends, all that stuff. It's really fun to watch. They senior heavy roster. All they have to replace is their quarterback from last from the spring. Braden Thornton at wide receiver is one of the best, ath- just pure athletes, 4A through 2A. And and there's just it, – it, similar to Lapine, it feels like they've just been on the cusp for like two seasons mm-hmm. now. You know, two years ago they ran into Hidden Valley in the first round. No one's going to beat Sam Vidlak in the first round at his home stadium. Um, this spring, they had COVID problems. They had they had COVID problems for two weeks. They could not get themselves running because they were short on football right now. And then at number one is Cascade Christian. You could make an argument for a lot of teams to be at one. We put Cascade Christian there because of a John Getman's the coach. Check. Second off, they have a quarterback. 
I'm missing his name off the top of my head right now, but you watch him on film. Sam Martin was our quarterback last year. I'm not sure this kid isn't better. Hmm. Um, he was younger. Sam Martin was a senior. But this guy, I, he, he might be better. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I can find it here in a minute. But they got receivers that can run. They can go deep, vertical. This kid can throw 50 yards standing. He's pretty darn good, hmm. accurate. Um, he's not super mobile, so he's not going to be doing a whole lot of RPO type stuff, but he can throw the ball vertical. And if you can throw the ball vertical in 3A, right. I guess some of the DBs that a lot of teams don't yeah. have, you can score a lot of points. So, as I said, and that, that's why they're one, is just because they have the least amount of questions out of anybody in the state. If I were to amend this list, I would put Sandham Christian at five, that puts Amity at three, that puts Rainier at four. I would just rotate those schools right there. But some big news that came out yesterday, and this might put Amity at two, Sayus is having COVID problems now. Their program is shut down for two weeks. Hmm. They cannot practice. They have, to, they have to quarantine. They cannot play in the Jamboree. They cannot play their week one game against South Umpqua. They're going to be rusty headed into week two. They're probably going to be rusty headed into week three. It's going to take a couple of weeks for them to right the ship. They might limp into the playoffs being you know, yeah. f- five and three. Yeah. You know, God forbid, four and four. Something Should like still that. win their league. Maybe. You still got Sandham Christian That's and Junction true. City in there. That's if true. you're rusty and you, I, can't, I don't know their schedule off the top of my right. head. If you're rusty going into that Junction City game, you'll lose. Yeah. If you're rusty going into that Sandham Christian game, even though you have way more talent, you'll lose. So that's what I'm saying. That rust factor right there, they might end up on the on the road in the first round of the playoffs, despite being maybe the second most talented team in the state. That that's the huge development out of here. So that's yeah. that's our top ten right now. That puts Amity at four currently. But you can make an argument with the developments in the last 48 hours. They might be as high as two. Anything you would add to any of that, Logan, from, yeah. from what you're hearing? We're seeing our first big impact of COVID restrictions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a top two team suddenly sliding multiple spots yeah. because of the quarantine. You know, I mean, losing Jamboree. Jamborees are more critical than people realize in terms of settling position battles and – just getting kids ready to play football again. And so they lose that and they lose a week one game. I guess the top 10 team. Yeah. That was going to be a great That's a good, yeah. Let good matchup to start the Between season. Between them yeah. and South Umqua, that was going to be a fantastic matchup. Now it's just completely off the books. And and I don't know, is, is OSA going to use the, the RPI the way they have in the past? Are they going to take into account teams missing games or coming off of uh, – you know, I haven't restrictions heard, or yeah, I haven't heard anything against that. All I would assume is that that game just goes as a no contest, and you go into playoffs with eight games, yeah, under your belt. There's there have been some years where Vale or Nissa, because it's really hard to schedule games, right. Vale and Nissa yeah. have gone into the playoffs having only played like seven or eight games, right? So it's not super uncommon. It's just the reasoning behind only having seven and eight games yeah. this year is going to be unique, very different. Last I heard is only league contests will be forfeits. Right, which so is interesting also. Right? That preseason against Alfamqua won't yeah. hurt them other than development-wise. So we're hoping whatever infection spike is going on right now comes down quickly for the sake of all these programs. I mean, you know, obviously I'm an Amity fan, but, I mean, I love high school sports, and I hate to see any kids missing out on opportunities to play uh, like, we, like we've seen over the last, you know, year and a half. So... All right, well, let's turn our focus now to the Pac West League. And this is a six team league. If you go into OSAA right now and you go under 3A football, they just show two special districts, and there's like 15 teams in each one or whatever, 17 teams. 
uh, they'll get that sorted out at some point here. I talked to uh, our athletic director, Derek Barnett, about that, and he said he's been in touch with them. They're supposed to have that fixed, but for whatever reason, they don't yet. So let's start with, um, in uh, no particular order here, I just have them written down um, as they popped into my head. So let's start with Dayton, who you had listed as maybe a top 10 team. And uh, you can, uh, we'll start with Logan here. Uh, I know you're doing your previews and you follow these teams really closely. Uh, so what do you what do you prognosticate for Dayton here? What's their strengths or weaknesses? Um, another coaching change, um, right? Uh, a year or two for Jake Peterson. So, I mean, they've gone through, they've been through different offenses, different defenses over the last few years. So these seniors are on their third coach, I believe. Um, you know, that's, that's hard in and of itself to have a culture of, of change yeah. <laughs> as opposed to consistency and winning. So go ahead. Logan. Um, yeah, I just visited Dayton yesterday, watched about an hour of their practice, talked to Peterson, um, talked to Charlie Estrada, great kid, uh, great personality. Um, but Peterson really drove home the point to me that they want to be more physical this year. He did not like how they lacked physicality last year. And to him, that's the culture change is playing really hard and playing intense football. And uh, he kind of joked to me after I stopped by practice, he texted me. He's like, this is the first time I've had to raise my voice in practice, but we need it right now. We have to get more intensity. And so right now that's kind of his focus. Uh, Jacob Peterson saw a huge jump from year one to year two at Sheridan. Kind of expecting a similar thing at Dayton, but competition is going to be much more difficult okay so that said uh, strength of their positions um, the line he wants the line to get more physical okay so in your opinion does the line have the ability to get more more physical do they have that talent there has it been a mentality or has it been a physical limitation they have big kids but yeah it, it, it needs to come down to a mentality and I watched some of their individual <laughs> offensive line drills and they were going maybe 60% and then Peterson caught on them and they started going hundred yeah. percent. So they're starting to realize that, okay, even in practice, we need to practice like we play. So I started seeing bodies hit the ground and <laughs> Peterson's going, yes, that's what I want to see. And so, uh, he's got some big guys there. Um, I know he mentioned Ethan Valdez as a returner, uh, big kid on the line. Um, six, one, um, Estrada is going to be tied in. He's huge uh, in terms of blocking and being a downfield receiving threat. So kind of reminds me of Josh Ward in that size that he has. So get some mismatches. In yeah, yeah. Especially. They're running some skeleton, and they like, you know, Charlie, start out wide. You run the post. And the coaches were just explaining that, yeah, let's have Charlie run the post instead of Kyle Troutman, who's 5'10". Because Charlie <laughs> can catch the ball over anybody. So Yeah. Uh, what about their other skill positions? Uh, quarterback battle right now. Um, Boston Hodges is a kid who's coming back. He's a sophomore. He's battling it out. Peterson's like, well, Jamboree's going to settle that. So, um, Who are they playing in the Jamboree, do you know? Salem Academy, Rainier, Blanchett, yeah. I yep. believe. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then on the defensive side? Um, Estrada, linebacker. Um, let's see, who do they got coming back at linebacker? Uh, Ethan Hedgecock's a good defensive tackle. Corbin Anderson's gone, unfortunately, but David Bowen is another guy who can be a good edge rusher. He's super physical, wrestler kid. Yeah. Um, he was putting some guys on the turf yesterday. 
Um, he's just a really physical kid. One of those guys that Peterson probably doesn't have to worry about, yeah. you know, telling Light him to him, yeah, uh, go 100%. So. Usually wrestlers don't need that lid under them if they're any good, right? <laughs> but but you kind of got that drive. Bolin and Estrada last year were double-digit tackles pretty much every contest. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to Willamina. Uh, Willamina, a couple of years ago, had some real good talent out there. Um, looked like that program was, was headed in the right direction, and uh, my understanding is there's some numbers issues out there now. They're struggling to get kids out. and So what's going on? I'll, either one of you that wants to chime in on that. Well, part of, the, part of what's up with Willamina, um, they had that one class of really, really good kids come through, and I believe that was either my grade or one grade ahead of me. And it was paired up perfectly with a timeline of Coach Dan Oswald. You remember he came in, um, you know, pretty much guns a-blazing in that first year. They all of a sudden went from doormat to contending with people. Right. And then in year two, that's when they went from contending with people to beating the crap out of people. Um, had the best defense in 3A uh, in that second year of Dan Oswald in 2017. Um, allowed, I think it was nine points per game. It was something <laughs> insane. Yeah. The only reason they didn't go farther in the playoffs is because they matched up with that Cascade Christian team that won the state title in the first round, and no one was going to stop Cascade Christian. Yeah. So – the big story out of Willamina is Dan Oswald's back. He's back. Uh, Hedrick left, took the Oregon City job, yep. which, you know, you, you kind of felt like Hedrick was going to be there for a while. You didn't know how long it was going to be, but you didn't know if it was going to be five years. years. It was two years, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, you know, you watch the Hedrick-Willamina era. They got better yeah. week to week to week. Even in that first year in 2019, they got better week to week to week. Uh, second year, had there been playoffs in the spring, I think they could have been a bubble team. They could have been four and five, five and four in a normal mm-hmm. season. They they had a pretty solid roster. Hedrick's gone, so now you have we talk about that revolving door, that stability. Right. I mean, um, now Dan Oswald's back. Does that necessarily constitute instability, or is that just is that Return just Mike, to a different stability, or, or is that just Mike Riley coming in for Dennis Erickson? Right. Yeah. So. That's one question, and and Dan Oswald is genuinely liked in Willamina. That's that's one thing I've always I've always gotten. He's genuinely liked within the community. So if you can, it's not necessarily a a you know we have an enthusiasm problem. It's a we don't have kids that just want to be football players problem. Because yeah. there are always kids that you have that could be football players and might want to be football players in the right situation. Now that you have not necessarily stability, but you have that guy that people want to play for, not that people didn't want to play for Hedrick, but people know Dan Oswald mm-hmm. intimately there. Now maybe some of those roster problems, you start to get that roster built back up yeah. again. And this might not be the year Willamina comes back into the playoffs as you know 2017 Willamina again. That's going to be a while. You don't have guys like, like Keegan Cook and um, Jackson Schoenbeckler and those guys on yeah. long that defensive line like you had in 2017. But you might – but this might be that first step into making Willamina back in in two thousand in you know two thousand twenty two yeah. two thousand twenty three. Logan, what would you chime in on that? From yeah, that I mean that's a good point. Probably a lot of these kids remember that last playoff run, even if they weren't playing for the team at that point. They're all probably a little too young for that. But if they were hanging around, they remember right. Dan Oswald. And so I think Robbie's absolutely correct in that. Um, there's probably more enthusiasm to, to come play for a head coach that led the team through their last postseason appearance. Well, and it's not just that 2017 team that led the state in defense. Remember, that 2018 team had a home playoff game. Remember, That's they huge. they were only – I think they were only 6-3, and three, but they still got like the seven seed 
because they were in a league with Amory right. and Rainier, and they got yeah. dragged up with the RPI. That was a really, really good team that they just ran into Nissa yeah, good in the first round. But, I mean, I went to that game at Willamina in the first round against Nissa on a Saturday afternoon. It was packed. You could feel Willamina as a football town. Yeah. They again. want to be a football town. They again. want to be a football yeah. town. You can feel it. And so I'm very, very happy to see Dan Oswald back in town because maybe this isn't the year Willamina comes back, but you can that's a rebuild you can keep your eyes on and feel good about. Willamina's yeah. easy to root for in football. Yeah. Always have been. So that's something to keep your eyes on. Anything else, uh, specific players to watch out there, Logan? Yeah, I mean, some of their best players last season could potentially return. Um I don't meet with Dan until the Jamboree okay. on Friday, so don't know for sure. But um, kids like Wyatt Baker and Eli Scolton, if they're back, I mean, they are the best skill players. And Wyatt Baker's a really good linebacker, really looked like the best player last year. So if kids like that are back with also an influx of new people coming out, then they're going to have some decent talent. It's just we don't know yet. And I think Friday is going to be really revealing of what Dan's going to have this year. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to Philomath, one of our favorite uh, scenarios where you have a 4A school playing down at 3A. And uh, we do have a little history. We went down and played them last year, and uh, we went into that game. I think they were undefeated, right? They were 3-0 and or 2-0 or whatever coming in. Yeah. And uh, that was an ugly game for them. I think that was the first time. I think sometimes when you're, when you're a bigger school and you're playing down, the, whether, regardless of what the coaches say, and what they're telling the players, sometimes the players have this idea that, oh, you know, yeah. we're the big dogs, right? And uh, that game, they got out physical, out executed. Um, quarterback ends up on the sidelines with a broken collarbone or separated shoulder or whatever at the end of the game. Um, they, uh, they were dysfunctional offensively in that game. They could do absolutely nothing with Amity. And Amity was a good team last year, but, you know, maybe top five, top four, possibly, but. But, you know, we weren't elite. But, yeah. yeah, that was that game was – I don't remember what the final score was. I think we gave up six points in the game. Yeah. Uh, in that, it was 30-something to six. I think it was 35-6 yeah. or something like so, that. Yeah. So, so where's, where's Philomath this year? Last year was their wake-up call to 3A football. Well, yeah, last year was, was something of a wake-up call. They have a, they have a new coach again. So they had – um, the the problems in 2016 that we all remember they had the the, the shut down the program and all that. Um, they had a new coach in 2017 from San Am Christian. He lasted a year. Then Tony Mata comes in from South Albany, takes over the program for a couple years, then resigns. Then they bring in a new guy. He resigns. Mata has to re, Mata has to take back over and run it run the ship for the spring. Now they finally now they finally have an experienced coach that they can lean on. And I'm trying to find his name real fast. Hold on, give me two seconds. It is, hold on, I can't find it. It's in our, it's in our <laughs> article. Alex Firth. <laughs> Alex Firth. Longtime CV coach, Crescent Valley coach, longtime offensive coordinator. Um, for those who have watched Crescent Valley in their heyday, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, you're going to have organization, uh, which is something that's absolutely crucial to a program that needs rebuilding. You're going to have organization. Schematically, you're going to be sound. You're going to be prepared to play games. So then it's just about building up the roster. It, it's about getting the culture back in Philomath. Philomath, we talk about Wilhelmina being a football town. Philomath's oh a football boy. town. Is it ever? Yeah. When Philomath is rolling in football, there's nothing like it. My, my mom's side of the family is from Philomath. My uncle was the offensive coordinator at Philomath for a long time. It, it's a different feeling. And so Philomath's one of those, another one of those rebuilds like Wilhelmina where if they get the ball rolling quickly, they might end up back in 4A, but they might end up really making it back mm-hmm. in 4A because Philomath is, is something of a dormant superpower. In all, in all reality, that year they got canceled. They were going to win the state title hmm. if they didn't have problems. Um, 
But Alex Firth, with that roster, with what they have coming back this season for what we have in the fall, it's it's similar to Willamina. This probably isn't the year that they make noise. But you're probably going to have a third team make the playoffs out of this league between yeah, Amity. Be I think that. Dayton probably will make playoffs as a 12, 13, 11 seed. You're, you could end up with a 15, 16 seed with – Date with uh, not Dayton, Philomath or Willamina, okay. as the as that third team out of this league. Depending on how non-league goes, depending on how um, how those matchups go in the RPI and the Collie, you could end up with Philomath in the mix. Yeah, Logan, have you had a chance to uh, do anything with Philomath at all? <laughs> do you... Teams that exist outside the county, I don't pay attention to. <laughs> that's that not outside the county. That's not my job parameters. But they so. are a league team, so I didn't know if maybe. Uh... Uh, the only thing I remember about Philomath last year was. Coach McGill saying our players love to beat up on the higher classification teams. <laughs> he take, you don't have to light a they, fire under your players. They take one, special you? pleasure in beating up on 4A and 5A. And I mean, they yeah. beat Milwaukee last year too, right? I mean, yep. yeah. So that's a 5A school technically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Technically, that didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was another one of those pretty ugly games. I mean, you know, Amity as a team gave up what 14 points last year in their five yeah. games. Yeah. Um, and Milwaukee wasn't any of those points. So they they held four <laughs> of their five opponents to their lowest point totals of the year. Yeah. Last year. So we'll get we'll get to Amity here in a minute, but uh, okay. So we'll move move on from Philoma. Then uh, let's talk a little bit about Sio. Okay. Um, Sio uh, team that we've had about two years in the league now. I think. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, and Sio is is kind of like a Willamina school. They're they're a wrestle heavy team, yeah. a wrestle heavy school. Uh, great wrestling program in Sio. Um, one of the best in 3A over the years. Um, it's a very rural logging <laughs> town, yeah. very much like Willamina. Yeah. Uh, a lot of pride in, in being physical and tough. And, uh, you know, so basketball has not been their strength, generally speaking. Wrestling no. has been. Uh, but but another, another one of those towns that has a lot of pride in that football heritage, but has really been down for a few years. Yeah. So well, where and, are we now? And that's been coming for a while, too. Um, you had Kyle Bra, head coach there forever, uh, won two state titles in 2008 and 2009, were always in the picture. Uh, made the state semifinals in 2017 with Drew Cook, one of the best 3A players the last 10 years. Um, and, and But the problem, you could see the problems starting to percolate in about 2016, 2017. I can't remember if it was three years or four years ago, you heard they don't have a youth program anymore. Hmm. They don't have a five, four, five anymore. They don't have a, or wow. excuse me, a three, four anymore. Yeah. They don't have a five, right. six anymore. They don't have a seven, eight anymore. Uh, I don't know where that stands now, but my understanding is that but that not havoc a lot of, on your on your whole program for years. And that started to manifest itself this spring. Incredibly small roster. Um, you watch Sio on film. They've always had this massive um, build to them, similar to Rainier. They've, they've ran the double wing for decades now. They just want to be in your face, constantly yeah. running down your throat. And they were running with linemen at some times this last year that, for those who remember Seth Valencia, were no bigger than <laughs> Seth Valencia. I mean, they were running as out there. As offensive linemen. With, yes, as offensive <laughs> linemen, starting guards and tackles, Sergio Alba yeah. type bodies. And that's not, And for those that know Sio, that's not really what Sio is. Right. It's really hard to run the double wing with guys of that size, but it's also really hard to install something else over the course yeah. of a spring-shortened season. So there's been no indication to me that they're going to change from the double wing with, with Justin Guest. Um, but, but there are still serious problems with Sio football. Okay. So another one of those teams that – Maybe they can take a step into the playoff picture if they win a couple games that they maybe shouldn't, but they're probably not your odds-on favorite to well, get that third playoff spot. Yeah, and I think that as we 
you know, as I was jotting these down, what was coming to my mind were the teams that I thought were the most competitive. And so, you know, I went Dayton, Willamina, Philoma, Sayo. I think I'm pretty close in that order. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what you would anticipate here as well. And then we have Taft at the bottom. Any uh, any other thoughts about Sayo from your background? Bob? Yeah, two years ago I went over there to watch YC play at Sayo. And, yeah, they were small for a team that runs as much as they do. The whole time I was like, what do they expect <laughs> to do? Yeah. It, it was like, yeah, Sergio Alba type mm-hmm. offensive guards. And, pound doesn't work I mean, well. and I they had some. You are. They had some running backs that year to kind of were able to make something out of nothing because their blockers weren't doing anything. But yeah, they were small that year, and so at that I point, believe you it. Like just be a speed bump. Just <laughs> get in yeah. the way, and then let me worry about it. Right. Very much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Taft, kind of what we expect out of Taft. Like, I mean, this has been. You know, for a school that's really a 4A, or has been at times a 4A size school, I don't know where they are right now in terms of enrollment, but I mean, they're 100 kids bigger than everybody else in the league generally. Um, just culturally, the opposite of Sio, Dayton, Amity, and Willamina in terms of their, their uh, just, just the whole culture of the community. The one thing you can say, and they've always, it's not just they've always had a 4A size enrollment, they've always had a 4A size support system too. Mm-hmm. Lincoln City, as much as it's you know kind of become a retirement villa in the last ten years, really really supports that high school. Facility-wise, it's amazing. It's great facilities yeah. for a three A high school. Yeah. yeah, especially the football complex. The thing about this entire league that you can say is everyone's trajectory is at least going slightly up. Dayton's trajectory is up. Yeah. Sio is, if not up, at least steady. Uh, Willamina's probably going up. I think it's safe to say Dayton's going up. Mm-hmm. Um, Taft, as odd as it sounds, I'm, if they're steady, okay, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not, I'm not so sure that they're not in a position. They're going to go one and eight or oh nine this year. Yeah. And that's not an indictment on any of the coaches because they're, they're not poorly coached that you can see schematically on film. They do things that make sense. If that's the best way to well, put it. And, and I'll chime in there that um, I know several people that have been employees in at Taft High School and the middle school over there. And uh, one of them works for us now. And, and his comment was uh, the, the cultural attitude of the kids is so different in Amity than it is in Lincoln City. He's like, the kids here want to work. They, they want to be involved. They want to be part of a team. They're committed. They're, they're buying in. They're coachable. He's like, really high percentage of kids over there, not that way. He said, you'd have a few that stood out as exceptions to that, but they didn't have enough to really build that culture of winning at anything, really, other than girls softball. I think they've been pretty good at Baseball. Times. Baseball, Baseball's yeah. Really good. Good. yeah. <laughs> but but, but you notice ago. all these schools that kind of are football towns naturally but don't have really, really good football programs right now are taking refuge in other sports and putting all their resources. Yeah. Philomath has always has pretty much put all their resources into basketball. Silas pretty much put all their resources <laughs> into wrestling, and I'm not seeing literal resources, but that's where the entire focus the energy is. is. That's right. where the energy is. Yeah. Taft focused everything into baseball as soon as – uh, Everett Thomas in that class graduated yeah. in 2016 after the 2016 season. So it's just manifesting itself almost – it's almost a snowball effect where you don't necessarily have success in football and then you just – You pull back from you, that. You pull back from else, it, which it makes it worse, worse and you right. pull back more. And football is one of those programs that – I mean, it's a cultural issue more than it's a skill development issue. Yeah. It is – you have to develop the right mentalities. You have to, the culture, the buy-in, uh, the support system – uh, to bring kids 
into that, um, that anticipation of being a part of that program at the high school level is a mentality issue, a cultural issue. Um, you know, in baseball, it's skill development. In basketball, it's skill development and working together as a team and playing together and, and getting those hours on the court together. Um, you know, soccer, it's a skill development and a teamwork issue. Um, but a lot of that can happen more easily at the youth levels than it does in football. Football, for it to happen in the youth levels, you have to have a serious community commitment. And like you were talking about SIO, it hasn't been there for a while. Um, you contrast that with Amity. I mean, we've been here since, since uh, well, for 10 years now. Uh, in terms of the number of kids involved, the parents are involved, uh, just the commitment level of, of volunteers to make that available to the kids. Uh, and then they're watching those high school teams and wanting to be a part of that. And that's, what, that's the whole goal, right, is to play football until you get to high school and then be a part of that program. So... Uh, it is different, and, and some communities really struggle with that. And I think Lincoln City is at a disadvantage in towns because it doesn't have that small-town community connection. Yep. Uh, it's a very disjointed town in terms of what goes on there, right? I mean, you have the casino part of the town. You have the tourism part of the town. You have the, the service industry that's, mm -hmm. that's dealing with all of that. Uh, but you don't have that. And there's so many people in and out of that town that don't live there, mm -hmm. right, that aren't really yeah. part of the community. It's and it's a very gambity is yep. you know in terms of just square miles of I mean it takes forever to drive through that town right I hate yeah. going through there I uh, mean you really think of touristy towns in general in the four four a three a two a level there's really only one that's ever had success in the last ten years and that's Seaside yeah that's the only one that's really had sustained athletic success because of the culture yeah that that's hard had to build for there years. yeah yep. all right let's get to uh, Amity then and uh, let's start with looking at who's not coming back this year and uh, so. Obviously, offered are Keenan Graham and Josh Ward, but there were some other seniors as well. Yeah, actually, talking with Coach McGill, he really didn't focus on the offensive side of those losses. He lamented that Keenan and Josh and, and George Hatch aren't going to be in the defensive secondary this year. Yeah. I mean, for that team, if their defense is really elite, then that makes their offense because they can just grind on people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he brought up those – I mean, those guys are picking off passes two years in a row. I mean, just intercepting passes, making plays. Flying all over the Three place. big playmakers that are yeah. gone from the defensive secondary, just one unit of the defense. So, um, yeah, some big – On the offensive side of the ball, of course, Keenan was your starting quarterback and, while not a great passer, had a phenomenal target in Josh and a pretty good target in George, actually, downfield. Uh, surprisingly good deep ball receiver tracked the ball real well uh, we didn't see a lot of that last year because they didn't have to the defense was so good as we talked about before that they did not have to really air it out much um, Josh was usually just something to pull the defense's focus that direction because you had to double him everywhere he went uh, so those threats are gone uh, and uh, let's talk about the offensive side of the ball first which I think uh, if you're used to seeing Amity score 40, 50 points a game, that's probably not going to be this offense. Uh, this offense, I would anticipate, is going to be a hammer, uh, a blunt object. Um, and I don't care what the shape of the hole is, we're going to pound our peg into it uh, <laughs> because we've got one peg, basically. Uh, so, Logan, I'll let you talk a little bit about offense from Andy's, Amity's perspective this year, strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, well, Wyatt Yoakum is that guy who can – smack into the line and make stuff I mean he's somehow bigger Square. and stronger this year from what I saw Monday night at training camp yep. um, but he's also pretty darn quick he's like a West Streeter who's a little bit taller you know but still that 
He runs downhill. What, probably 240. He he, he looks He's big. big. Yeah. yeah, but he moves. He moves really he moves well through the right. holes uh, during training camp on Monday night. And then you have Wyatt Hatch and, Lo- and Logan Grove, who are these change of pace, really fast guys that are coming off. And uh, offensive line, they're not super big, but guys like Kyle Rice and Hunter Barber have a good experience. Um, Sergio Alba was lined up at tight end. Um, on Monday night, that was interesting. Not a, not a great blocker uh, in terms of size and things like that, but he always does what he's supposed to do. Oh yeah, and I think Coach McGill will tell you that it's like Sergio mentally ha- understands the game, um, does what he's supposed to do. He's never going to pancake linebackers or anything like that, but he's always does the right block, which sometimes is all you need for a back to get loose is for somebody to be in the right spot, interfering with that guy <laughs> pursuing the the running back. Uh, also on that offensive line, I'll mention uh, Alec Previtt comes back as yep. a right tackle. Yeah, he's one of their bigger guys. Yeah, um, I don't know what – Alec's got to be 6'3", 280, something like gigantic. that. Gigantic. Uh, For the 3A level. And he gigantic. started last year. So he got that, that starting time last year. Uh, a little bit even as a freshman, he played some, uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, completely the last five games in the spring. And, and uh, he's an athletic kid. He's got good feet and played basketball through eighth grade. You know, he's not – He's not this big lumbering guy. He can come out and move and hit you. Yeah, he, he was pulling a little bit on yeah. Monday night. And he was I, getting out in front. Brady Hall also, not a big kid, but a wrestler um, and a, and willing to hit. I think that whole offensive line w- likes to hit people. Um, yeah. Likes to, likes to initiate that contact, which is a good thing. And there's some experience along there. Yeah, I think Kane Black understands the offense really well. Just being a receiver last year, yep. um, I saw him make some good throws. He, he wasn't trying risky throws he was just hitting guys like Reagan Clark going out in the flats hitting them right in the numbers and that's what you have keeping the offense yeah. moving so and he's really mobile can make it make a lot of stuff out of nothing probably if the line breaks down so yeah I, I think he's a more natural thrower than Keenan Keenan you know we always tease Keenan about his loopy throw you know just kind of gangly uh Keenan was more of a playmaker um just had a knack for making big plays, uh, but wasn't always fundamentally what you looked for out of your quarterback <laughs> position. Uh, but Kane really um, going to miss some of the some of the guys who left between Josh playing tight end and and sure who else he may rotate into that receiver slot. Do you? Jeff Tompkins might get some time. Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, a sophomore this year. I believe so. Yeah. Berkey was running some routes too the other yeah. night. Whether that's because they needed somebody to run routes or not, but I think he'll play some there when he's, you know, because he's your backup quarterback. And yeah, kind of where Kane was last year. Exactly. Yep. You know, it keeps you engaged. You know what's going on. Um, you're, you're involved in the in the play calling and things like that a little bit as that receiver shuttling those in and out. Well, let's move to the defensive side of the ball. The, uh, offensively, I think, you know, my prediction is, you know, we're going to see, um, you know. Eight to one rushing yards to passing yards this year. This team is going to run the ball like crazy, um, and and dare you to stop that and grind it out type of of mentality. But before we go to defense, just to chime in on on your saying that you know you're used to score, seeing forty and fifty points scored in a game, be prepared for more blunt offense. It's not as much going to be. This is a brand new thing. That's blunt offense. Right. It's just a transition to what was before Brian Hatch, Johnny Mather, Jason Nelson, two thousand seventeen. Yeah. 
for those that have watched Amity football for the last, I guess, you know, forever, uh, 2016, 2015 is what you're going to be similar here. Uh, yeah. Trap series versus belly series. Trap series, you're you're getting a lot more to the edge. You're you're playing fast and finesse a little mm-hmm. bit more. Belly series is straight in your face, physical, more what you think of with a wing T team. Well, and I know that's what you're going to be returning to. And a I know bit. from talking to Coach McGill about this that I think you're going to see alternating series out of that fullback because he wants to keep yep. Wyatt and Reagan fresh. And so you've got, mm-hmm. you know, Wyatt, we talked about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, whatever he is, 235, 240 pounds, just a load. Uh, and then Reagan coming in there at 6'3", 6'4", six, six, and 2'10", 2'15", whatever he's weighing now. Um, and they're just – they want to force that defense to have to cave into the middle. Then you can open some things up for – for Wyatt Hatch on the outside or, or for Logan on, you know, some sort of a pass option type of thing. Logan, probably the best receiver on this team is Logan Grove. Um, yeah. And he showed that last year. He's got great hands. He runs – he's tough. He runs good routes. Um, you just have to get the ball somewhere near him. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere near him. Anywhere but, near him and he'll go but, catch it. But just to touch on the offensive line quickly, you mentioned that there's not, you know, super huge – you know, Hunter Barber's not a gigantic human right. being. Alec Previtt's a big human being. Yes, he is. You don't have to be a big human being in this offense to be successful. In Rainier's offense, you have to be a little big. Sio's offense, you have to be a little big. In this offense, you can be Trevor Hall's size. Mm-hmm. Best lineman I ever played with was Trevor Hall. Absolutely killed people yeah, what, with his 175 pounds? slight frame. Yeah, uh, Zadok Burr was he, a pretty he, good lineman. Good wrestler. Yeah, he might have yeah. been less than that. Yeah. Zadok Burr was a good lineman in the in this offense. Chris Linseth was a good offense was a good offensive lineman in this system. You can be a very solid lineman in this system if you just know what you're doing and you're willing to be physical. So the yeah. willing to be physical part being true for all five of these guys that are going to start probably yeah. is way more important than anything with their size. Well, and you've got. Um, at least two wrestlers on that line, and Kyle Rice and Brady Hall. Uh, I don't think Hunter Barber's a wrestler. Um, Previtt's not. Um, and Previtt should be. Um, who's my other? I'm missing uh, a lineman here in my head. Colby's an explosive athlete. Uh, and you go over to the weight room and look at the squat board, and he's on it. He's in the top five as a sophomore um, for squats. He's, he's squatting 385, something like that. Mm. Uh, and above him is Yoakum at four – uh, he's going to be ready. Um, he might be the best lineman of all of them this year just because of his athleticism combined with his physicality. He's, yep. he's weighing two-something, um, and he's strong. Yep. Um, and he's got that athleticism to be able to do some different things with him as a as a guard. Uh, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, which I think is where, even though there's some questions about the defensive backfield, that front six is going to be a lot of fun to watch, Robbie. That, that front six is I'm not going to put words in McGill's mouth. I'm not going to put words in Tromley's mouth. This is just my guess. This is from having watched him this spring, watching film and all that. This is probably the best front six you're going to see of the last of this third McGillian era. Yeah. Um, it's probably the best front six you're going to have seen since 2009. Um, the, the blunt force of this front six is absolutely monstrous. Guys like Reagan Clark, guys like guys like Sergio Alba, um, those are two really, really, really good front six players. But it's not like the gap from the top right. two. The sixth guy is that massive. Yeah. Um, the back, the back five, the guys who are who are Keenan Graham, uh, uh, Josh Wart last year. Those guys are really important. But the front six is what you know drives the car here. Yeah. So if those if they can just fill out the back five with you know the Willie and the and the two force players. 
probably Logan Grove. Probably, Logan will probably, be back there, Logan's right. going to be back there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Colby Nyseth makes an appearance back there. Maybe Yoko Colby's makes it. right behind Reagan. Yeah, yes. Linebacker but, spot. But you're probably going to, you might, you're probably going to see Yoakum get some time back there. If they can just hold their own in the back five, that front six is going to be monstrous. Yeah. This, without putting words in McGill or Trombley's mouth, just from an outsider's perspective, this could be the best defense in the state. Yeah. Underlined. Uh, I would agree Bold. With that. Yeah. And and so if you have that, then you just got to score like you know three or four times a yeah. game, and you're in the state title. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you're right on that defensive front six. Um, Logan, you've been you've been paying attention to him. You you covered him last last year and yeah, uh, been in camp. Um, they looked really good on Monday, and because the front six were doing so well, Logan Grove was just picking off passes left and right because of the pressure. And, I mean, Sergio Alba has always been a really good playmaker. Comes from that linebacker And he's position. not huge. I think he's, he's got him at the right linebacker. He's not a huge guy, but, man, he is ferocious. And he takes good angles, and, he's a, and he does hit hard. Yeah, he, I know. mean, he's just incredibly smart. And we talk about Dayton wanting physical intensity. Well, yeah. a guy like Sergio Alba has that physical intensity. And combine that with his intelligence, yep. like – Great playmaker there. But, yeah, I mean, when the front six is doing well with Amity's defense, it just opens up everything. Who does uh, who does Trombley have um, in the middle of that front three? Uh, I didn't recognize the player on I'm Monday night. I'm trying to remember who he's got. I know the other five. Um, so the the front six right now, you got Reagan Clark, Nyseth, uh, Dylan Barber, and Yoakum are that middle stack. Dylan. That's and then you got Barber, Blake yeah. Bell and Serge. Uh, I side. think you're going to see Gavin Watson instead of Bell at the right mm-hmm. end. Okay. Uh, and I think that's oh, just, he'll, he'll probably get time if nothing probably. else. I mean, well, Brant may play some, some secondary because – Brant Bell is a really good athlete. Yeah. You, you can put him all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I think what they saw in Gavin last year – so they took Gavin Watson as a sophomore and he played some nose tackle last year. Gavin's not a big guy, but he's very twitchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just – he's fast. You know, and and uh, he caused all kinds of problems when he rotated in at that nose tackle position. So I think they're going to try him at some right defensive end, um, give him a chance to just flip the switch and go. Right, you don't have to think a lot. Um, you've got one assignment basically. You know, hit well, the, hit the throttle, baby. Watch the football. As soon as it moves, you move. Yep. Get through the line. Go to the football. Go find that's the football. all you have to yep. do. The, that's that's the beauty of the defense. You just have to do that and just run so the football. So if you don't know about the three three defense, if you're listening to this and you don't watch a lot of Amity football, or you're just not a football um, aficionado, that three three basically is six guys coming after the. As soon as it snapped, you got six guys trying to blitz. Effectively, they're not worried about uh, run run gap assignments, who's going where, who's got this on the backside. The other five guys are going to take care of whatever gets away from you. The idea is is that very few teams can block six pass rushers simultaneously. And so even if you're running the ball, there's every gap has somebody coming through it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to create a hole in that, you have to do a great job of executing your blocks up front, and, ho- and running backs have to hit holes quick. Uh, if they dance around at all, then they're caught from the backside because there's always somebody coming. And it frees players from the process of thinking. <laughs> that's, oh, that's simpl- don't overrate that. Simplicity right? yes. is oh, huge. Man. Simplicity is absolutely football, like well, Even in the NFL, sometimes you're like, you know, this guy's a lot better if he only has to make one decision, right? Mm-hmm. It's this or it's this. In fact, I was talking about that with somebody uh, yesterday about um, how hard it is for quarterbacks to make that jump from college to the NFL. And the biggest problem is even at the, in the most complicated college systems, they don't have to make very many reads. 
And the defenses typically are not very complicated because of what we're just talking about. You've got great athletes, but you're trying to keep it simple for them. Here's, here's your responsibilities. And so the, the toughest thing is to find the quarterback that can process the information, not make the throw. It's like you've got to be able to figure out what's going on on the fly. Um, you know, we've watched Tony Romo go from being a quarterback to being an analyst and, and how much he you, you get to inside the mind of a quarterback a little bit, which has been fascinating, I think, for people who love football to hear all the things that are going on in a quarterback's mind as he sees the defense line up, knowing knowing and he doesn't even know the play call, but he's still, yeah. you know, usually getting it right because he's just thinking like a quarterback at the three A level. Keeping it simple is really <laughs> paramount. I yes. Mean, these guys are not full time football players. Uh, they don't live and breathe it. And so um, having having a short list of responsibilities, especially on the defensive side of the ball, allows you to go 100. And another added benefit of the, of just how simple it is to play in the front, and really it's pretty simple in the back five, it just takes a long time to master, is that you can run at the youth level too. Yeah. You can just plug and play at the youth level too. So by the time you've walked to the high school, ready for your first practice, you have three years in the defense already under your belt. It's funny. One of the things Joel told me that frustrates him so much is when they made that youth football change. Oh, I'm thinking it was when Reagan was like in third or fourth grade, somewhere back in there, they said, you can't, you have to line up over the offensive lineman as a defensive player and you have to make contact with them. You can't just run past them. Right. (laughs) And so he's like, that undermines everything I'm teaching them to do at the high school level where we're shooting gaps. You're not allowed to do that because you put these athletic kids on the defensive side, they shoot a gap and blow the play up, right? You have to spend a year and essentially yeah, deconstructing exactly. that entire to thought teach process. Them how, to, how to not do that. Um, like you don't have to make contact with that offensive player. In fact, if you don't, we're, we're way better off. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's uh, – so I think that's unanimous. We agree Amity should be the favorite to win their yes. league. Um, and to have a home playoff game, which is exciting. Yes. Um, uh, kind of what everybody just expects. And we fire coaches if we don't get it, right? basically, <laughs> right? No. Um, but, uh, Choose your words carefully. Yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it, it's not a super strong league right now compared to some no. of the other leagues around the state. Um, you go down, and, and like you said, you know, San Am Christian and Sayusla. And Junction City. And Lapine. And and. I mean, that's um, a tough league. Pleasant Hill, which yeah. isn't that bad of a team. That's a tough league. I mean, that's a really, really um, tough league. They're going to beat each other up a little bit. Um, so if you were uh, predicting here, um, give me uh, Amity's offensive and defensive MVPs. You go first, Robbie. Uh, Logan, you go first. Ah. <laughs> nice. Hmm. Offensive MVP, Wyatt Yoakum. Okay. To me, that's a pretty easy pick. He was, he was pretty important last year. Last year. Yeah. And now he he looks faster and somehow bigger this year. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd go with him on the offense okay. and on the defense, Sergio Alba. Yep. Again, he was a very good playmaker last year. There's no reason he shouldn't be this year. Uh, I'm probably going to go to the other. I'll go Logan Grove on offense, and I'll take Reagan on defense. I, I Reagan's going to be the focal point of one of the best defensive fronts in the state. And I think there's going to be a lot of turnover opportunities when, I, with him in the backfield. And Logan, as much as Yoakum's going to be the guy that keeps the car moving here, I think that's going to open a lot of opportunities for Logan to, okay, break one or two tackles, you're in the end zone. Mm-hmm. He's, going to be the, he's going to be the Brian Hatch to Yoakum's West Streeter. Yeah. Um, not to take anything away from Yoakum, but I just have a feeling Logan's going to have, be the explosion guy, and I think he's going to be really good at it. Well, and, and it's – it's a uh, symbiotic relationship between the belly and, yeah. and the big play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's that it's those belly plays that pull that defense in, that wear them down, that get them going for the fake, and then all of a sudden there's no containment. Which is the beauty of the wing tee. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, so I think this year maybe more than what we've seen in the past, that that belly is going to really set up the offense um, because it's it's going to be run a lot. Um, you know, both both Yoakum and Clark are gonna are gonna see a number of carries every game. I think uh, just trying to wear down those defenses and force them into some tendencies that allow Joel then to make the play call to exploit and get the big play. Um, and I don't think Logan needs a lot of touches to be super effective. Um, and and you've got Wyatt also. Yeah, Wyatt same thing. Wyatt, man, you know the the run he had against Milwaukee was phenomenal. You know, it's like and showed some patience even after he was past the linebackers, waiting for blockers to develop downfield, uh, and then turn the Jets on. I um, mean, you got some sprinter speed there. Logan doesn't have quite that explosiveness, but he Logan catches the ball so well too. It gives you that dual threat coming out of the backfield. Um, yeah, I, I think the team MVP this year is probably going to be Logan Grove. That would be my yep. guess overall if you were going to pick probably. one player and kind of both of what you're talking about there, you know, the combination of what he's going to do on the offensive and the defensive side, I think as a defensive player, just his um, the importance of taking over what probably what Keenan did last year um, and, and really making sure people are where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing and, and really being that continuity person. But he'll have some opportunities because of that front six to get <laughs> some picks. Um and uh, there'll be a lot of quarterbacks throwing awkwardly, there's which gonna be is a, lot a huge of, advantage for defensive <laughs> backs. I, there's going to be a lot of dead, dead duck footballs yeah. flying in the air yeah. for potential interceptions. Yep. And so it's exciting. Uh, looking forward to it. And um, Logan, have fun covering <laughs> all the things you have to cover this spring or this fall. Sorry, spring. See, football was in spring last year, so yeah. it's a spring sport <laughs> yeah. for me. Quick turnaround. Uh, yeah, really quick turnaround. Um, uh the uh, Amity Volleyball Program will be interesting this year. They lost yeah. uh, lost quite a bit from last year's team, but a uh, second year for Amanda Grove I think should be a lot of fun to watch as well. And the soccer program, full team, which is exciting. A um, couple of Western Christian girls coming over, um, part of that co-op there, and Andy Dyer um, slowly but surely building a really good program. Continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Boys' <laughs> soccer program is technically defending state champions right now. Aren't they? <laughs> they are, I think both of our boys that played on that Western Christian team. <laughs> There's two ops, two co-ops going on there, and we're the strength on the girls' side. They're the strength on the boys' <laughs> side. So, and then uh, cross country. I don't know. I'm not sure how many kids we've got going out for cross country this year, but um, uh, we'll we will uh, keep an eye on that as well. So, um, thanks, guys. Appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thanks and, for having uh, us. Yeah, we'll get this up, and uh, hopefully, uh, fans will enjoy it. So, and they've got a, a good view of 3A football around the state. So. Uh, Hope you enjoy this, and uh, maybe we'll do something uh, as the season goes on.